Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church right here in the beautiful city of Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, So glad that you're joining me today. And I do want to always send out the invite for you to come and worship with us. You are always welcome. We're only 30 minutes or 35 minutes from any place within the South Side, uh, maybe 45 minutes or so from uh, the peninsula. We would love to have you come worship with us any Sunday, 9 o'clock or 1045. Well, today is part two on what I'm calling the Christian and his liberty, the Christian in our relationship to our government. So we want to answer three questions that we started to talk about yesterday in the broadcast. Question number one is, why was government created? Question number two, what is the purpose of government? And then question number three, what should be the Christian's response to government? And just by way of introduction, I want to remind you that when Paul was writing, we're looking at Romans 13, 1 through 7. When Paul was writing, he was in the midst of being under a very ferocious government. The Roman government was no friend of Paul's and no friend of Christianity. But when we look at this, Paul, with this kind of government, writes these words. Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that have been established are established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against the authority that God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, So we learn, first of all, that government was created to establish rule and order given to us by God Almighty. God sets up governments. God takes down governments. And so one of the ways that we know that we're a follower of Christ is that we are subject to the governing authorities. You may ask the question, well, is it ever right to go contrary to governmental authorities? And I say, yes, there is a time that we answer to God and we say we obey God rather than man. You remember the early disciples, as they're out there proclaiming the gospel, uh, they were arrested and they were told, you are no longer to speak in the name of Jesus. And they went out and they continued to preach. They got arrested again. They wanted to give them a slap on the hand and said, no longer do this. Uh, They said, you know, you can judge what is right or wrong, but we must obey God rather than man. And so God raises up governments. He takes them down. Daniel says that God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So we learned yesterday that the reason government was established was to bring about rule and order. Number two, the purpose of government. Well, the purpose of government is twofold. Now, I know government has greatly expanded its influence, and I'm one of those people who believe a smaller government is a better government. A small, stronger government is better than a big, weak government or a big, overreaching government because I'm a big freedom guy, right? Because I believe that God has given us the ability, especially believers, to be able to govern ourselves and to be able to know the difference between right and wrong. God gave us wonderful Ten Commandments. You know, If everybody would just live under the Ten Commandments, we could greatly reduce the size of our government. You know why government is so big is because uh, we have violated the Ten Commandments. There are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of laws on the books, all because we can't follow Ten Commandments. But let's look at the purpose of government. 
to reward good, punish evil. Paul continues Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. For rulers hold no terror to those who do right. In other words, if you're a law-abiding citizen, uh, you don't have to be afraid of the government, right? Uh, If you're always going to speed limit, you don't have to be afraid of the government. So there's no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring about punishment on wrongdoers. So do what's right. You don't have to be afraid of the government. But even if the government does wrong, you still don't have to be afraid of them because we are blessed if we are persecuted for doing righteousness. And so we looked at the purpose of government. We looked at the whole reason why God has established government. But let's look now at the Christian's responsibility. Uh, We're down at Romans chapter 13, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, now, when I was in seminary, I used to always say, and it's kind of corny, whenever you see a therefore, you better see why it's therefore, right? Uh, why is there a therefore at verse number five? Well, Paul is alluding to verses one through four and saying the purpose of government is to establish rule and order. The purpose of government is to also be involved in punishing evil and rewarding good. Therefore, okay, with that in mind, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of a matter of conscience. So Paul says here, there's two reasons why you should submit to authorities. Not only because you don't want to get punished, but also because of a matter of conscience. You don't have your conscience being guilt-ridden because you're going against the authorities. Now, so there's two ways to conform. Now, I I don't know about you, but um, I have always had a little bit of what they would call a lead foot. And uh, I always like to move along. If I got someplace to go and I found that sometimes I've got to really control that impulse to drive faster than I should, because if I go too fast, I'm obviously going to get a speeding ticket. And so to avoid punishment, I try to obey the speed limit, right? To the best of my ability. Now, I also found out that uh, there's a benefit of obeying the speed limit because you know, I have Nationwide for my insurance, and, and Nationwide is supposed to be on my side, right? Nationwide is on your side. But I discovered that if I get too many speeding tickets, Nationwide is no longer on my side. And it will increase my rates if I get too many tickets. As a matter of fact, one time uh, I was with uh, another insurance company, and I remember I had been in a few car accidents and had uh, some tickets and some other uh, violations, I guess you could say. And so I got this wonderful letter from this insurance company. It was short and sweet. It was a breakup letter. This insurance company says, we are no longer going to cover you. And apparently I had been a high risk for them uh, because of the accidents I had been in. And so they broke off a relationship with me. They canceled my policy. Well, I want Nationwide to be on my side. And so I want to go ahead and try not to get any speeding tickets so I don't pay more insurance and I don't pay speeding tickets. But Paul says there's another reason you ought to obey our government is because of our conscience sake. So the Christian's responsibility is twofold. Number one, pay taxes. And number two, honor the government. Verse six, Paul says, uh, this is also why you pay taxes. 
for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, then pay your taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Uh, So the Christian's responsibility is to honor our government and pay taxes. There's three reasons that we do this. We pay our taxes and we honor the government so that we will avoid punishment. We do this so that we won't be punished for breaking the law because that is the purpose of the government. We also do it to avoid a guilty conscience. Now, when I think about how sometimes the laws are changed and sometimes they will legalize things that we as believers know based upon God's word, are a violation of what is good. So even if we change the laws to reward something that is evil or to legalize something that is evil, we still have this conscience to deal with. You would think that those who live contrary to the law, once that law has been changed and they're no longer living contrary to the law, they would no longer battle guilty conscience. Even if we outlaw stealing, Those who steal will still deal with some consequences of their conscience. They still have a guilty conscience. Even when you legalize sin, you can't eradicate the guilt that goes along with sin. There's something else about paying taxes. We are supporting God's servants. Well, that's exactly what Paul says. He says, you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants. And we pay taxes so that they can devote their full-time effort to governing. You know, the God does the same thing with the church. You give tithes and offerings, right? You honor the church. You're not forced to give. And I always am amazed that governments will run a, a major deficit. I mean, you look at how many trillions of dollars our nation is in debt. And then you look at churches, who don't force anybody to pay taxes. Now, now some churches may, okay? I can't speak on behalf of of all the churches, but I I know that the church that I pastor, I have never sent an invoice to a church member and saying, listen, we haven't received your tithes and offerings. Here is an invoice from Acre Ridge Community Church. This is what you owe in your tithes. And no, it's a free will offering. And it's amazing that the church for 2,000 years has been funded by free will offerings of God's people. And the church hasn't gone bankrupt. But look at how many governments have gone bankrupt. Paul reminds us that as we pay our taxes, we are helping those who are called into government to work at governing full-time. As we give our tithes and offerings, uh, we're allowing our pastors and our church staff and our church leaders who feel led to be in full-time ministry to devote their full-time efforts to the church. As a matter of fact, on this matter of paying taxes, Paul said to Titus, Titus, when you gather your congregation around, uh, remind them, remind your church family to be submissive to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now, this matter of taxes, right? This was a great source of contention in the day of Jesus. The Pharisees, they hated having to pay taxes. And so when they were trying to trip Jesus up and trying to put him in a corner, they said, well, let's get him on this matter of taxes, right? They thought they had a foolproof way of trapping Jesus because in their mind, they're going to ask Jesus whether or not 
his disciples should be paying taxes. And they figured this is a win-win, right? Because if Jesus says, oh no, they don't need to pay taxes, they would be accusing him of being an insurrectionist and not paying his taxes. But then if he says, oh no, you got to pay your taxes, uh, then they say, well, uh, we shouldn't pay paying our taxes because we have no God except God. Caesar's not our God. Why should we give him a dime? So what does Jesus do? You know, you can't outsmart Jesus no matter how hard you try. In Matthew 21, 20, Jesus said, give me a coin. And then he asks, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It is Caesar's inscription. Jesus then said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So believers, we give to God what is due to him. We give to the government our taxes that is due to them. We show honor and we show respect and we pay our taxes. You know, as I was putting this sermon together, I was looking at the whole tax system of the United States government, how it's changed through the years. Tax rules have changed in an effort to force us to be more honest. Now, now back in the late 80s, okay, I was paying taxes in the late 80s. I graduated from high school in 1983. I had my first job. I was a manager of a Friendly's restaurant, and I started that job in 1980. So I've been paying taxes since about 1980 or 81, okay? There's a book that was back in the late 80s entitled Freakonomics, and it was written to explain how a simple change in the U.S. tax rules in 1987 exposed the depth of the public's willingness to deceive for financial gain. Yeah, that's right. In the 1980s, there was an IRS agent, an officer in Washington, D.C., who had seen quite a few random audits in his day, and he saw that some taxpayers were incorrectly claiming dependence for the sake of an exemption. Now, sometimes these were exemptions were legit. Sometimes they weren't. But he noticed that a lot of people had dependents' name listed. For example, he found one tax return who had a dependent by the name of Fluffy, who was quite obviously a pet rather than a child. So this official proposed that we should make people on their tax returns not just list the names of their dependents, but also list their social security numbers. And he felt like that was the most efficient way to clean up this mess that was simply requiring taxpayers to give their children's name and social security numbers. Well, the idea never made it out of the agency. But a few years later, however, uh, Congress was clamoring for more tax revenue. And so this idea was dug up, it was rushed forward and put into law for the tax year of 1986. Well, when the returns started coming in the following April, they discovered and they were shocked that 7 million dependents had suddenly vanished from the tax rolls in one year. As some incalculable combination of real pets and phantom children, this clever change generated more than $3 billion in revenues in that single year. Put that in perspective, right? 
they had all these people rolling off as dependents and the tax revenues increasing. So as Christians, we should be paying our taxes. We should not be trying to, now now you don't pay more than you have to, right? Or more than you should. I believe that if you give to your church, that is a legitimate contribution, charitable contribution. And depending on how you do your taxes, uh, you can deduct a certain portion of that. But I want you to know that if if that's the only reason that you're giving, uh, I think it was Elvis Presley who says, if you only give to get a tax exemption, is that really a gift? If that's the only purpose that you're giving, then that's really not the intention of you giving to your church. You know, I give to my church because I love my church, and I love how the fact that God has set me free, and I do it out of total gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. Now, if I can get a benefit from that on the side, then great, take advantage of that. But even if we lose this tax write-off, I'm still going to give generously to my church. Well, as we think about navigating through times where we may be encountering a government that is contrary to our faith, a government that may be asking us to do things that, uh, that we cannot embrace and we cannot support. How should we respond? Well, I think one of the best biblical characters to look at is a guy by the name of Daniel. Oh, I love Daniel, right? Dare to be a Daniel. There are six points I want to point out in the life of Daniel that I think will help us as believers navigating through with our Christian liberty in a society that may not embrace our faith. Daniel, we learned, first of all, was different for God. In Daniel chapter number one, verse number eight, we discovered that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the royal wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. As we begin the book of Daniel, Daniel is a young man, probably 15 years old, maybe 14. He is under the Babylonian captivity. Now, those Babylonians, they were a rascally bunch of people. They came into Jerusalem. They ransacked the city of Jerusalem, killing off thousands of people. Before killing off thousands of people, just as they are capturing the city, they went in and they found the cream of the crop. They found the strongest, uh, the, the most healthiest, the wisest young people they could. And there is Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are picked out of the crowd by the Babylonian officials. After they ransacked Jerusalem, Daniel and literally hundreds of other Jewish uh, young men are brought back to Babylon. They're brought back to Babylon for the purpose of being indoctrinated into Babylonian names. Now, Daniel was schooled in Babylonian thought and literature. Daniel also had his name changed. His name was changed from Daniel to Belshazzar. Now, Daniel allowed his name to be changed, but he refused to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. There's a government edict saying to Daniel, you must eat this royal food and wine. So what does Daniel do? He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He's still honoring to this government who has just overthrown his people. He is a captured exile, but yet he's still honoring. And he says, can I offer up a solution? I want to be different for my God. 
I don't want to defile myself with this royal food. Can you allow me to have a different diet? So Daniel was different for God. Number two, Daniel lived a disciplined life. As he offers up this solution, he says, test your servants for 10 days. Don't give us anything but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, most commentators will believe that this was an ongoing practice of Daniel. In fact, we call this the Daniel diet or the Daniel fast. This is where you're eating nothing but vegetables and drinking water. Vegetables and water, that's all. Daniel lived a disciplined life. He realized that he had to take care of his body physically. And one of the things that bothers me about my life personally is that, that when it comes to eating and, uh, and caring for my body, I'm not as disciplined as I wish I, I were. I like, I like to be a Daniel, right? Uh, to be strong and, and, uh, and being able to just eat vegetables and, and, uh, and eat, uh, just drink water, right? But, you know, I, I drive this vehicle. And, uh, you know, my, my vehicle has a steering defect. And I don't know if your car has ever experienced a steering defect, but my car has this steering defect. And I can't seem to find out what the problem with it is, but it seems like every time I drive by a Chick-fil-A, my car turns into the Chick-fil-A parking lot. I would like to get this steering defect fixed uh, because I'm a Chick-fil-A addict, right? And, uh, and I love this spicy chicken sandwich, okay? <laughs> but Daniel was more disciplined than I am. He was able to go on this vegetables and water to drink. This is the third thing we see about Daniel. Different for God, not defiling himself, disciplined in his life and what he ate, but he was also discerning. Discerning with his choices and his friends. We see that these four young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, these four young men were given knowledge, given understanding of all the different kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds and in all matters of wisdom and understanding. As a matter of fact, he became so famous for this that the king inquired of him and found that he was 10 times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers that were in his realm. Do you get this? 10 days of fasting, 10 times better than the magicians and the astrologers. Uh, so Daniel was very discerning who he hung out with, very discerning in the decisions that he made. Daniel was also devoted through self-sacrifice. It says in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel learned that there's a decree. Now, I'm fast-forwarding this story because of time. We've gone from chapter 1 to chapter 6, leaving out a bunch of details. Daniel is facing another dilemma in Daniel chapter 6, and they couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel as it related to his life. I mean, he was honoring his government. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the way Daniel conducted himself. He was a man of integrity, a man of honor, a man of discernment. And so they decided to find something against his religion. And Daniel learns that they're going to have a decree that punishment would come to anybody who prayed to anybody other than Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel did what he always did. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God and don't miss this phrase, just as he had done before. Well, there's one final thing. Daniel determined to share and be prepared to tell the good news of God's love. In Daniel chapter 4, Daniel is now given an opportunity to speak on behalf of the Lord. And he interprets the king's dream 
And in the midst of interpreting that king's dream, uh, he gives this, this ruler this opportunity to get right with God. So I want to say, dare to be a Daniel, right? Dare to stand alone if you have to. Listen, God has given us such a wonderful opportunity to stand up for righteousness. Will you share the gospel with somebody today? While we have this opportunity in the land of the free and the home of the brave, will you share the gospel this week with somebody? We recently did a a service at Northwest River Park. At the end of that service, a, a man came forward and prayed to receive Christ. People are still interested in the gospel. The good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him, and when you do, tell somebody else about what God has done for you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. God bless you. If I can pray for you, shoot me a prayer request through a text, 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. God bless you. I so appreciate you uh, being part of this broadcast. If you have any questions, you can use that same number to ask questions. As some of you have asked questions about the broadcast, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.